please turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. John 2, 13 to 22. And this is the Word of God. And a great text for an ordination. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a, a cord out of a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume him. And Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple And I will raise it up in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple that he was, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. The word of God. Now, this is the passage. When you hear this passage in modern evangelicalism, this is the passage that people love to use to prove that Jesus isn't a wimp. You know, that Jesus isn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that Jesus is a a brawny man's man. Look, they say, he's furious. He is, he is just driving people away out of the temple. Jesus, they go on to say, and it's true, was a man's man. And you men's men who can't identify with Jesus, yes, you can. <laughs> because he was brawny enough to make whips and chew the cattle out of the temple and, and run out the money changers. You know, that is true. Jesus was furious. Jesus drove out the the, the cattle. That is not, however, the main point of this passage. The main point of the passage was that Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, had a burning zeal for the house of God. And that zeal caused him to do what we just read about. You see, the temple was there by God's dictation and design for the worship of God. The temple was a place of beauty and grace. All those animals that would be sacrificed as substitutes, blood for blood, innocent for sinful, that that grace might come to the people. The temple was a place, and Jesus reaffirmed this, a place of prayer for all the nations, a place where you could pour your heart out to God. The temple was a place of God's word. The temple was a place of high praise and, and joy that just filled people's hearts and towering glory 
awe and joy went together in the temple. But when Jesus Christ walked into the outer courts of the temple, it was more like a Jewish flea market than the house of God. They were selling animals inside the house of God. In fact, do you know where they were selling those animals? They were selling those animals in what was called the court of the Gentiles. It was that place, that very outer place where where Gentiles seeking God and Gentiles who were God-fearers could come. And that's where we're going to sell our animals. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's just the Gentiles. Well, it mattered to one person. And he was furious, filled with righteous anger. Now, contrary to popular belief, there was nothing wrong with selling animals to be sacrificed in the temple. Nor was there anything wrong with exchanging money. You know, what you did, of course, is you, you, you brought along, you had to have an animal to give over, and that had to be an approved animal, approved by the temple, you know, without, without blemish, etc. And these would be sacrificed for you and your family. So this was the feast of the Passover. There were Jewish people coming from all over the world to sacrifice. What, are you going to bring a, a lamb all the way from Greece? This was a great convenience. This was a great service to be able to travel from wherever you were from all the way to Jerusalem, buy your temple-approved animal, you know, at the temple and give it. And then, you know, when you went to the temple every year, you had to pay what was called a temple tax. So where are you going to get the money? I mean, you know, you come from, from Persia, and you're a Jewish person, you come in, well, you got Persian money, where are you going to get the money? It's just like in the airport. You need to find the money changers. Now, granted, these people were probably, some of them, gouging prices and, and, and taking advantage of. You know, Jesus added in the other Gospels that you've turned my house into a den of thieves and in a place of robbery. So, uh, but, but the idea of selling these animals and changing this money, there was nothing wrong with it. It was where they were doing it that caused the anger of Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that for centuries, they didn't do it there. For centuries, they had all their animals and they had all their money changing up on the slope of the Mount of Olives. And you came in from out of town and you were there. You went down the Kidron Valley and up. But you know, being good businessmen, they were inching closer and closer as the years went by because you didn't want, you wanted to buy the the lamb or the goat or the, the pigeon or whatever that was closest to the temple rather than having to bring it all the way to the temple. And before long, they were in the temple. They were in the space reserved for the Gentiles to worship God. Can you imagine the smell? And the noises and the bleeding and the squawking and the everything going on in, in the place of worship where the Gentiles were supposed to worship. The Lord had always had a heart for the Gentiles, even when the Jewish people did not. In fact, you go back to the covenant with Abraham. Was it not true? That you will be a light to all the nations. 
You go back to the Psalms and over and over, to be a light to the Gentiles and a glory to my people Israel. And all the prophecies of Jesus in the widening scope to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. But you know, Jesus wasn't just angry because they were blocking worship of the Gentiles. You know what else they were doing? And it drove him crazy. They were cheapening the holiness of worship itself. They were cheapening the the respect for the glory of God. And here it is. You just don't make worship anything you want it to be. Now please understand, I didn't say you can't make worship anything you want it to be. You can. And you live with the consequences. But if it's anything other than what the Bible says it is, then it is not the worship that the Bible says. And you just can't make Christian worship anything you want it to be and for it still to be the thing that is supposed to be that great blessing that lifts up God and is in awe of who he is and what he has done for us. If you love and respect God, you will love and respect the worship of God. I mean, that's just plain and simple. And that's why Jesus was furious, blocking the Gentiles, diminishing the respect of the glory of God in worship. And it was prophesied, was it not? In Psalm 69, zeal for God's house will consume him. Consume there the the metaphors of something burning slap up. Zeal for God's house for worship will just burn inside of him with a fire that he will not contain. It will just leap out. And it leapt out that day, did it not? Whoa, and that, you know... I mean, can you, can you see this? I mean, he's making core, uh, taking cores and making whips. Jesus is going crazy in the court of the Gentile. Let me tell you, when the Son of God makes a whip and starts getting after you, it's not just about the whip and the arm, is it? There's something inside of him. You, you leave. And they did. I've been to one SEC football game in five years, because I preach on Sunday, <laughs> and I'm getting too old, and I'll be too tired if I go to too many of them, but uh, it was an 11:30 game at my alma mater, which is Auburn University, and I hadn't been back there in years. We'd lived in Colorado, you know, before, and we got back there, and some things had changed, and I think they've changed at a lot of the stadiums. The stadium was a lot bigger than it used to be, because football is just, you know, like a big old temple now. And uh, the other thing that happened was it's these huge electronic drum- jumbotrons. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all got those at y'all's too, right? I mean, we got there a long time before the game. And we were sitting there, and I'm telling you, just the jumbotrons is almost worth the price of the ticket. It was a show. Now, Auburn University had sold their soul to the Under Armour Corporation, evidently. <laughs> and on that huge jumbotron was kept flashing the Under Armour symbol. If you don't know what that is, that's not risque. That's just like uh, sports clothing. But uh, this, this, you know, this huge symbol, and it would have pictures of the Auburn defense, you know, holding firm. And then the same thing just kept flashing in enormous letters. Protect this house. And I thought, that's cool. What they're saying is, is hey, you're coming into our house. You ain't scoring in our house. 
We're going to protect our house. Jesus, in high desperation, saying, this is my house. You will not do this in my house. I will protect my house. And he does. He makes whips to protect his house. Now, there was swift reaction on the part of the temple officials. Of course there is. Verse 18, do a miracle to prove that you have the authority to do this. It's not a bad question. Basically, who do you think you are causing all this disruption in the temple? Verse 19, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Now, this was Herod's temple. It had undergone an an incredible, at the expense of the government, uh, facelift, a remodel by Herod. It took 46 years to to construct the way this temple looks, they said. And we're going to put a D9 cat to it and knock it down and you're going to raise it up. In three days? Verse 21. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, and I will add in three days, his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words he had spoken. This is so profound and so beautiful if Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Because what Jesus is saying here is you have denigrated the worship of my Father. You have shown your spiritual bankruptcy and your reorientation of what worship is to what it is not by bringing these animals and all this commerce into my house. And I have come to change that. This is my house. I'm the mediator of the covenant and you will confront me and you will kill me for this and you will lose because in three days I will rise again from the dead and I will raise up a new temple with my people new people people made new who will worship me in spirit And in truth, Jew and Gentile. This is radical. You know, as beautiful as the temple was, and it was gorgeous, and Herod's temple was beautiful. It was only a picture. Just like the Ark of the Covenant. You know, just like the Levitical priesthood. Just like the sacrifices. It's all a picture of the greater reality of the body of Christ. That would be revealed. Do you know where the temple is today? There's a temple today. Now, those of you who know your geography know that there's a, a mosque on the site of the old temple mount. There's a temple today, is there not? The body of Christ. We are the temple. We are the living stones that fit together to build a spiritual house for the acceptable sacrifices by grace of God's people set free. He'll turn to 2 Peter 2, 4, and 5. Each one of us is one of those stones. In this new temple, Jesus said, when he was raised in three days, the temple is his body. 
and then the church body. 1 Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen and by God and precious to him. That's the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected, you know. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that Jesus didn't take it from temple and corporate to Christian and individual? That all the metaphors for the body of Christ are corporate and signal togetherness. Body. You know, if you're a hand, you know, body means all the different functioning parts of the body have to be together for them to actually be the body, right? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. The the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. All right, here's another one. Stones. You can't, you can't, you, you don't have a stone sitting way over here in the corner, right? The stones are locked together. They are built together to make that spiritual house. Army. Is army a corporate metaphor or is that an individual metaphor? It's a corporate metaphor that we are an army with ranks and and battalions, if you will, in, in a spiritual battle, though we are individual soldiers. Living stones gathered together. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you know what, we're going to get rid of the temple, we're going to get rid of public worship. Jesus is saying, we're actually going to, I'm going to have my people, they are going to be the new, peop, the new temple, and they are, they are going to worship me in spirit and in truth and in freedom. And do you know something? It would take a modern person to read that in individual terms. The Bible knows nothing about that. The Bible is a covenantal salvation. This is temple, God's people worshiping to believers in Christ, God's people worshiping. That's not to deny that we worship privately. We do. But this is all about the corporate worship. And you know, if you think about it, it's a great gift for us to be in the midst. You know, I was thinking this week why I need corporate worship. And do you know, I I don't always have the right words to say. To God? Isn't it great for somebody else to, to lead you when you're weak? I don't always have the motivation. Isn't it great to walk through that door right there and be downcast and just be lifted up in the presence of Jesus and his people? That happens all the time because people tell me at the back door that it happens. You know, I, I, God has given us these gifts of the word of God together. Prayer, the, the covenant meal we share called the Lord's Supper, the sacraments. We are the body. We are the house of God. We are together, you see. I remember when I was a new believer. I was 19 and a half, almost 20 years old. I was raised in a church, never taught me the gospel. I never really thought other than that it was kind of cool to go there. And if maybe if you learn some good things to do, you stay out of trouble, that it was worth much. But once, once I, I, I came to Christ and was born again into a new life through, through Jesus, I remember my first pastor as a believer talking about the wonder of the body of Christ and the beauty of corporate worship. And I just, my soul just vibrated with enthusiasm about that. And I just wanted to know, you know. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be with. I wanted to be with, with saints who were ahead of me. So I could learn from it. I wanted to be with saints that were brand new so I could help them along, you see. The body of Christ. 
Our new officers have been set apart this morning to serve in God's house. You aren't set apart just to be an individual Christian. You were set apart in reference to the body of Christ. And I have a few charges that I'd like to give you out of this passage, and then I'd like for us to think together on a very important matter. First of all, you are called to help lead a church that is about the death of Jesus on the cross and resurrection and the personal salvation that we gain through faith. You see, I'm not trying to deny the personal nature. It has to be personal before it's corporate. You are charged to protect the gospel for the people of God. Amen? Amen. But you are also to lead a church, this local group of people, you see, and to show your love for Christ by serving the body. To, to be, as, as was prayed and so wonderfully uh, charged, to, to be about something greater than ourselves. To be sacrificial because the body of Christ is worth giving to, to lead. And then thirdly, you are to have a zeal for the house of God like our Savior had a zeal for the house of God. You are to show people the priority of the love of God in your life through worship and service. In other words, you're to be grace-captured people who love the body of Christ and who demonstrate that love by engagement in worship and in service. And you do this because you love the good shepherd of his flock. Did you catch the word? There's another word for the church. Flock, not a very individualistic word. You do this because so that the flock can follow your leadership. Now look, you're going to have to repent a lot of sin, right? But let's repent a lot of sin and let's walk with the Lord and, 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 and help people walk with us. I want to close by asking a question for us to consider together. And here's the question. What would Jesus overturn in his church today? The Highlands Presbyterian Church? Any church. I, I think it's a great question. Now, we live in a time where people are spouting off all about the church and how wretched the church is. And we've gone through different scandals and different bodies, parts of the church, etc. I understand that. So I don't want to brainstorm for all these answers. What I'd like to do is I'd like to bring two issues to the fore from this very text. And just kind of see, let us ask the question, how Jesus would feel about it. First is this matter of hindering the Gentiles. Remember, that's why Jesus was mad. They were keeping the people who needed to come in from coming in and and worshiping because they were selling all those animals in their worship space. Would Jesus challenge us about our compassion for those on the outside? Jesus would say, be faithful to me uphold the freeness of grace, uphold the beauty of the body of Christ, 
But do not hinder those who need to come in. In fact, Jesus went further, didn't he? He said, make disciples of them. Baptizing them, that's church. Teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you, that's church, you see. And we need to ask ourselves whether the end game is about people coming to Christ and Christ changing them or whether the end game is simply trying to make people look and act just like us. I say that with all due respect. You're not a Republican. Shut up. That's nothing against the Republican Party. If you don't look this way, if you don't do this, no. No, that's putting barriers up. Do we believe in the recreative power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate people and make them new in Jesus Christ, or don't we? Do we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to sanctify people and make them into the image of Christ, or don't we? So how are we with just opening our arms to people and representing Jesus and, and preaching nothing but the truth without adding all these things? Or really, whether we're showing them this thing called the Christian life, whether it's really worth living at all, you know, this sacred-secular split that we struggle with so bad? We're Christians on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday, we're, we just follow the world. <laughs> I was listening to a book this week, and, and basically a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, said, boy, it'd be hard for me to want to come, and, and it'd be hard for me to give my life to something that only really speaks to one-tenth of my life. Is this a one-tenth thing for us, or is this a ten-tenths thing for us? In other words... Are we putting in the barrier that we're not even showing that this is, this is actual, you see? So hindering the Gentiles, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Look, I'm not thundering from Sinai. I'm just saying we need to ask ourselves this question. Secondly, is the other issue in this passage, and that is diminishing the holiness of the house of God and the priority of worship. If, if we're not dealing with how busy we are in 2010, we're not dealing with reality. True? And you know, the sad fact is, and look, we're all, I'm busy too. Is what we do with our time is what is really the most important to us. We vote with our time. That's a hard thing to come around to in light of Jesus' zeal for God's house. We cannot make the Christian life to be anything but what the Scriptures have made. Now, you can make it be whatever you want to be and live with the consequences. But if you want it to be what Jesus is zealous for, then you just can't make it up. We cannot rearrange the Christian life simply to suit our own lifestyle. We need to rearrange our lifestyles to serve Christ. And his glory. You know, we, we live in a time where people are just angry about the church. And there's all these people that want to move from church together, redeemed community, to a more private faith, right? It's private. 
In the news recently, this just exploded when Anne Rice, the celebrated author of the vampire uh, books from New Orleans, Anne Rice, who had become an atheist, and then a few years ago declared that she was a Christian, declared that she was a part of the church, and everybody said, oh, that's so great. Anne Rice is uh, now, you know, writing books about Jesus. Well, that was great until July 29th, 2010, when Anne Rice posted on her Facebook page these words, which I hate to tell you people, are the sentiments of lots of folks in our culture. Today I quit being a Christian, she announced. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not being Christian or being a part of Christianity. And she ended her message, and she detailed all the bad things about Christians. Then she ended her message on Facebook by saying this, In the name of Christ, I quit Christianity and being Christian. Amen. I don't know what's going on in Anne Rice's life, and there may be some pain going on there. I'm not mad at Anne Rice. I just want to say, you can't have the faith alone, the one that's in the Bible. Now you, can, you can say you're quitting Christianity. You can make up anything you want to. You can even call it another name if you want to. And you live with the consequences of that because you're not changing God. We serve a God who by very nature is Trinitarian and there, thereby relational. We were made for relationship with God. We were made for relationship and community. I don't think Jesus would say that as we struggle with our business, busyness that we're quitting Christianity. But he might challenge us about our personally reformatting the Christian life to suit our lives. What do you think? What would he say? That zeal for God's house burned within us? You know, there's so many things that we have today more than ever before, right? There's not anything wrong with most of them. It's kind of like the selling those sheep, you know, so people could come into the temple. Wasn't anything wrong with that? Wasn't anything wrong with the money changers? Wasn't not anything wrong with all the stuff that we're busy with, right? Now, that's not the issue. The problem is not all our pursuits because they can be a blessing from God and they all can have their place. The problem is when they get into the inner courts of our hearts that should be reserved for God alone and when they get into the space of public worship. That is a huge challenge to God's people today. Based on John 2, 13 through 22, zeal for God's house consumes me. It's time to think about this. And look, not just from a negative view. I know, you know, people go, I hear what he's saying. There's, there's no code in what I'm saying. I promise you. I'm just asking questions straight out of this text. And I think we need to look at it from the very positive view of the gifts that God is trying to give us in the real Christian life and in the corporate nature of redeemed community together. Elders, deacons, lead us deeper into Jesus personally. Elders, deacons, lead us to have compassion on those who need to come in. 
and not put needless barriers and call them Christianity. Elders, deacons, show us in a positive way what zeal for God's house looks like. You know what we need? We need grace zealots. Who are church zealots? That we might follow deeper into Christ's heart together. Let's pray. Lord, would you work in, the, in our hearts in the midst of a world of multiple choices on steroids and messages everywhere. Lord, would you give us fidelity to your word? We don't pretend that, that we just have it all 100% perfect. But Lord, we want the real thing and we pray that you would grant that. And give us that zeal for grace and zeal for your house, for us and our children, for the generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen.